insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Marco. Sean. I like to go fast. I can't. Fast? You can't? Speed limited zero. Try to go zero. <laughs> to run zero. No, I'm joking. I there's a <laughs> there's there's a lot of zero uh, marketing messaging out there in, in the context of, of trust, and I think what we're going to talk about today is how do you know who you can trust and how to trust them and why trust them and where to trust them and how to enable the business with trust if you can't see what's going on in the first place. And uh, I don't know anything about this topic, thankfully, um, but we do have somebody who does know. <laughs> That's Huxley Barbie from Run Zero. Huxley, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me both. It's uh, looking forward to this conversation here. Absolutely. Really cool. And just just an heads up for people watching the video, that you can see we're all black and white. And <laughs> uh, for those listening, you're just gonna have to trust us. We're all in black and white. We're from uh, we're from the past, but That's we talk right. about the future. That's the funny part. Yeah, very monochromatic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the monochromatic future. You want to start with that? You see the future being monochromatic. Well, with a hint of color. Everybody's homogenizing in some ways, I feel like. So true. Absolutely. Very, very profound. Very profound. <laughs> All right. So, so be, before we get into uh, the, the, the core of the conversation, uh, Huxley, a few words about who you are, maybe your journey into uh, the world of InfoSec and your role at Run Zero. Journey into the world of InfoSec. Well, I, when I majored in undergrad, I majored in Asian languages. And so I, I came out of college with no marketable skills aside from technology, which was a hobby. So that, that was my entry into technology because there was nothing else I could really do. And lo and behold, I'm still here after decades of of working in, in IT and security. Um, but at Run Zero, my company, I'm the security evangelist. Exactly. And while maybe national languages, uh, well, they do have a role in, in technology and security for sure, but language in general and the, the ability to communicate and translate things from one thing to another is super important in this industry. So... I suspect you lean on that uh, 
skill set uh, in some way as you as you help tell the the run zero story to prospects and customers and partners and the like. More so now than before. You know, there was a time where I was a software engineer, hands on keyboard all day long. Yes, but now now more so. Giving the I'm having these conversations with the industry at large, it is more important. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Absolutely. I think it just made a case for anybody from any background is actually needed in this industry. You never know where you start, but you know you may end up in cybersecurity for a reason or another. So I think that's a that's a pretty big topic right there too. Although I know we're not here to talk about that, but I guess as an ambassador, as somebody that represents a company, you know, the touch of uh, what the industry has become nowadays, I think it's quite, quite important for sure. Yeah. So let, let's take, uh, let, let's go back to uh, black and white times. <laughs> Probably not that, not that far back, but uh, run zero, give us a little background on, on uh, the, the forming of the company, uh, what the initial objective was, um, any initial goals or milestones that, that the founders wanted to achieve with the company, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so the founders of the company are H.G. Moore and Chris Kirsch, and they are both folks who have been steeped in offensive security for quite some time. H.G. Moore, obviously author of Metasploit. Chris Kirsch is the black badge winner, uh, a DEFCON black badge winner of uh, the social engineering contest from uh, years back. And so they have, you know, both in their, their hobby of cybersecurity as well as in their jobs, met with a lot of customers, understood the challenges for a lot of customers. And one of the things that they saw again and again was that most customers didn't know what they had on their network. So that's one really key important thing. The other thing that they realized is that more and more security teams were no longer being asked to just protect the managed IT devices in the corporate environment, in the office, essentially. That over the last 20 years, the security teams have been asked to start protecting IoT devices, OT devices, and a multitude of environments, not just the office, but also in the cloud, in remote employees' homes, in targets of mergers and acquisitions, in the factory, and so on and so forth. So that scope for security teams have, have dr drastically expanded. But at the same time, the tools that security teams had for going out there and figuring out what is on the network, which were sort of okay 20 years ago, when you're just dealing with the office, were entirely unsuitable uh, for, for this day and age. And related to this whole divergence of, of environments and diaspora of, of devices, they also noticed this decentralization of control. Right? So for example, in the cloud, developers are spinning up machines left and right without any sort of proper governance, right? And oftentimes these these EC2 instances or Lambdas, uh, they're, they're sort of instantiated, but then never decommissioned, right? Leaving this, this open, open hole for attackers. So HE and Chris looked at this situation and said, well, there has to be a better way. There needs to be new tooling to deal with the new reality. And that's how they came up with, with Run Zero, which is a cyber asset management solution. And when we, when we talk about 
discovering assets. And I mean, I can, I can look back to days when, uh, when I was managing a, an ESM product, GRC product uh, for a big company. And a big part of it was asset identification. And it collected a ton of stuff and it can be used for a ton of things. And, and one of the ways that we were able to kind of connect it with the users was to find those use cases where this information can be used to make decisions, drive actions, reduce uh, workflow overhead, reduce team burnout, <laughs> whatever the cases may be. So I'm wondering how, how some of the initial uh, use cases looked, um, especially as you, you talk about IoT and OT, the, those devices shed different types of information that maybe some teams understand, other teams don't. Um, I don't know, I'm kind of all over the place here, but the, the connection of IT and OT, um, where those things cross over. So maybe a few, a few scenarios where the information helps to, to provide some insight into the team or teams that need to do something with it. Yeah. And, and, you know, oftentimes for customers, the ones that are a little bit more mature, having a full asset inventory is an end in and of, of itself, right? And having that full asset inventory is actually far more difficult than the folks who have never even tried to or never even tempted to get that full asset inventory. It's easy to figure out what are all the managed IT devices on your network. It's the unknowns that really are problematic. These are the ones that are probably have been orphaned. Uh, they have not been patched. They have no governance whatsoever and they've been forgotten about. And it just so happens these are also the same ones that have an outsized implication for your security posture, right? Because attackers are not going to go for the managed IT device that's up to date on its patches and has EDR on it. No, they're going to go for the one that's like been sitting there for like the last five years. People have forgotten about it or people know it's there, but they're afraid to breathe on it because nobody knows what it's for and they're afraid of it restarting, causing some sort of outage. So... That, that in of itself is important for more mature organizations. But as you've alluded to, for many organizations, it's about what else you can do with asset inventory that's important. One particular use case that we see quite a bit is understanding the gaps in your security controls coverage. So for example, what are my devices that are missing EDR? And you can't really answer that question unless you have an approach that brings together a full asset inventory plus information from your EDR of choice, right? So find endpoints missing CrowdStrike, find endpoints missing Sentinel-1, find endpoints uh, missing you know, AVG, for example. That That is a major, major use case that is popular with, with, with uh, RunZero's customers. Another one would be trying to be better about zero days. Right. Obviously, there are Volan scanners out there, and they very, play a very important role in helping a company mitigate any sort of potential problem. But the fact of the matter is, usually, when there's in zero, there's a zero day, it takes time for the information to be released through the NVD, and it takes time for Volan scanners to release a new bone check. And even if a Volan check exists, 
the customer then has to rescan the entire network. And oftentimes they're not even rescanning the whole network. They're just rescanning part of the network that they're allowed to, because right? volume scanning has uh, troubles of its own. One really, uh, one really unique and novel way that customers use uh, this full asset inventory is to identify devices that are potentially vulnerable to new zero day, right? So rather than doing a full loan check, you're able to use certain heuristics or um, other sort of attributes that are like telltale signs that this particular device may probably has this vulnerability and use that to help you scope out a punch list of what to go after in order to deal with the zero day, like right on day one. And, and talk to me about um, the, the the process of gathering this information because you you mentioned bad actors having access to SCADA systems, IoT devices, default passwords for those things, ports and 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 API calls that can be used against, and a lot of that stuff is open source intelligence, OSINT on Shodan and other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that kind of data, and then there's deeper, like you said, inside, perhaps, is it running an EDR or not? Mm-hmm. How, how deep and wide can you get without like destroying the network? Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of going after the device to say, give me all that you can give me. Yes. Um, but, but sometimes that actually triggers a response from the device that's not acceptable, like shutting it down or, uh, or blocking a port or whatever the case may be. So how do you, how do you know what's important? How do you know about how to get it in a safe manner? Yeah. So what you're talking about is a hundred percent a concern. And this is one of the reasons why security teams have to pick a time of the night in order to run a Vuln scan or, you know, manage these really large exclusion lists to, of, of IP blocks and not just not look at it at all. And you'll find that this is more necessary in OT environments, as well as with IoT devices. It's less of an issue with managed IT, but still an issue, of course. But with OT devices, some of which have been sitting there for like 20, 30, even 50 years, like you really have to be very careful in terms of what you're doing with scanning. So there's there's a lot going on here. And one of the reasons why historically scanners have not done well with these devices that are prone to disruption is because they send intentionally send non-standard packets. And it's, it's a tactic that's used by uh, these older legacy scanners to elicit a certain type of response from the operating system of that target device in order to make a determination as to what it is, right? It's, it's a fingerprinting technique of sending a, a non-standard packet just to see what it, how it, how the response uh, is, right? The behavior of that device, and then say, ah, it must be this type of device because of the response. That's something you absolutely should not do if you want to have that that breadth of coverage with devices. Another thing to do is to make sure that you're fingerprinting incrementally. So a lot of legacy scanners, you know, I'm thinking MMAP, Nessus, as well as uh, the major phone scanners. What they'll do is they will they will query a device and grab all the information at once. This, of course, also can cause a disruption in the device because it might have an older TCP IP stack 
or it might have a, a you know custom software, or it might just be like under resourced, which causes it to, to freeze up or or restart based on uh, based on that that sort of like in depth query all at once. Really, what you want to do is what we call incremental fingerprinting, where you send at first a super benign query just to get some sense of what this might be like, you know, around the edges. And then based on the response, the response is you iteratively go deeper and deeper with the queries to gather more information uh, about it. And so in so doing, you know, hey, I can send this type of packet, but not that type of packet. I can make this type of query and not that type of query in order to avoid some sort of major outage with, with that device that you're trying to scan. But you're right. It is it is a, a touchy thing. You have to be very careful when you're doing active scanning, especially in, in OT environments and with IoT devices. And as you're talking about this, I want to start looking at things a little bit from uh, from the business side, right? I mean, for me, if I were the business in charge and you tell me this thing or like, you know, don't, we come in, but we don't break stuff. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> You know, that could be my my main fear. Like, you know, not only you know you want to do it at night, but also I really don't want to deal with that with that disruption. Then you can start thinking like, well, why do you have a 25 years old device or whatever it is? But the point is, is there? So, tell me about a you know some either case study or what is your typical kind of uh, client for Run Zero, and how does it go the first? conversation with them like you know are they looking for already looking for what you're offering or is something that is oh i didn't know we could do this the way you do it that sounds good to me i would say most people agree in the importance of asset inventory everybody knows that you cannot you cannot protect what you don't know about like that's sort of a truism sort of accepted i think the biggest shift in mindset is realizing that existing asset discovery tools don't quite cut it. They are um, either, either they're optimized for managed IT devices or they do asset discovery in such a way that they only gather a minimal amount of information, which leads to misidentification, like bad fingerprinting, essentially. So at the end of the day, you, you end up in a situation where your asset inventory just isn't really covering everything that you need. And it is exactly the stuff that it's not covering, which is where you are most vulnerable. It is those unknowns on the network that you're, that you're not going to be inventorying, that you're not going to be able to discover. And it just so happens those are the same ones that are going to be most susceptible to attack and get you into the most trouble, right? A lot of this comes back to this idea that uh, when you do asset discovery, you should be taking an approach through the lens of the attacker. In fact, in fact, very important point here, asset discovery and recon are two sides of the same coin. It's really the exact same thing. It just depends on what your perspective is. If you're an attacker, yeah, you call it recon. If you're a defender, you call it asset inventory. But it's all really the same thing. And what you're trying to do is figure out where you have problems. You start with visibility. You start with figuring out what, what everything is. And then the next step is figuring out what are all the bad things? Where do I have to prioritize? How important is it to, um, and I'm thinking from the business perspective here as well, because if you have the information, you're hopefully going to use it to make some decisions and drive, drive some actions. And 
as we all know, there's no lack of security data in one form or another coming at the team from all angles, all times of the day. And it's all marked red high, right? Yep. <laughs> you got to, yep. you got to take care of this. So how, how does what you provide help uh, teams perhaps prioritize where to focus? What's sure. important to the business? Sure. Absolutely. So there's a, there's a variety of ways that good asset inventory, full asset inventory can help you prioritize where the security team should focus. So let's imagine there's either a vulnerability or a misconfiguration on a device. Okay. Yes, there are tools these days that can tell you, oh, the CVSS score is such and such, right? But the thing is nearly, or, or severity, but the thing is, you know, with more than half of vulnerabilities being marked as high or critical, like it doesn't really help with prioritization. Um, so you want to start looking at other things around that asset to help you make a determination as to whether or not that weakness, that misconfiguration of vulnerability is something you should really look into right away. One thing to look at is, hey, is this device externally facing? If this has a public IP, then clearly that's something that is more likely going to get you in trouble than something else. Like if, if I have RDP running on a device that's completely isolated internally, okay, you know, might be something you want to look at, but it might be okay. But if it's RDP running on a device that has a public IP address, you should really take a look at that as quickly as you can, right? And understand why that's there and if it actually has to be there. So location within the network, very important. Another Another detail that comes from asset inventory that can really help is what is the function of this device, right? If this device is a printer, then okay. And as a vulnerability or, or misconfiguration, good to know, but probably very little damage that uh, an attacker can do. But if this were an IP camera where they can start looking at the facilities, then that might be something that's worth looking at. So in understanding these asset details, whether that be what is the hardware or what is the, who's the owner of this, who's the business owner of this, understanding the, the business context of that device could potentially be very, very helpful along with network location, very helpful in helping security teams determine where they should prioritize. You know, I'm going to go back to the business because you know, I'm not the tech guy. So I'm always going to bring you back to the business. <laughs> uh, so tell me, who is your typical client? I mean, I know you have many. I mean, do you work more with an industry than another? What kind of maturity company you, you normally work for? And uh, if somebody's listening now, how is going to tell, like, I'm going to go and talk to Run Zero because I'm going to, I know I'm going to go and work well with them. Yeah. I would say, well, the fact is we have customers in every single industry. Like there is not one that can't use asset inventory. It is it's such a foundational component to a security program that you couldn't really mount a credible defense without having it. Now, with that being said, of course, some customers have an easier time coming up with a full asset inventory, right? So if you are a company that is just born in the cloud and you're just using a single cloud, right? You're, you're just, you're just AWS and you have a handful of AWS accounts or less 
then you probably don't need a scanning solution. You could probably just get away with using the AWS console or using some sort of cloud-like solution for something like that. But if you are the type of organization that has uh, multiple clouds where you need consolidation across all of your cloud environments, or you have lots of on-premise environments, there's definitely uh, room for you to uh, take a look at um, different asset discovery solutions to understand like what might be best for you. Uh, we see a lot of interest, obviously, in manufacturing and retail and education, right? Education being, like, for example, like really federated environments. But we, we also see interest in like healthcare and uh, oil and gas and, and things like this, as well as finance. So lots of different industries need asset inventory, about the only one where they don't need a full-on scanning plus API integration solution would probably be some sort of single cloud born in the cloud type of company. So talk to me a little bit more about the, the environment, because you mentioned multiple multi-cloud, um, I don't know if cloud sovereignty, data sovereignty, and where the clouds are in, in different countries, if that plays a role, uh, containers plays a role, uh, if there are, um, PMs obviously within there. Um, I don't know if you get into some of the what's running on it in terms of apps. Um, how? What are some of the nuances that maybe some organizations might think they have asset inventory covered, where in fact they're missing key elements because of these changes in in networking infrastructure that that uh, and and device composition, I guess, if I can call it that, that changed the way they should be looking at things. Where, where are they where are they kind of missing the mark, do you think? Yeah, so, you know, there are multiple dimensions to measure whether or not your asset inventory is full. One is by device type, right? So are you getting all of IT, IoT, and OT? One is environments. Are you, are you getting devices that are disconnected from your network because they're your remote employees' homes? Or are they in the cloud, right? So that's another dimension. Another dimension is sort of like the depth of detail. So when we talk about cyber assets, which is distinct from IT assets, and I'll explain that in a moment, but a cyber asset is a compute device plus all the related information that security teams care about. So this means not just hardware, but also software that's on that device and the services that are listening on that device. What are all the misconfigurations and vulnerabilities that are on that device? Who are the users associated with that device? And things like this. And this is very different from an IT asset because to analogize over, right? An IT asset is a compute device plus all the information that IT teams care about. IT teams will care about replacement cost or licensing. This could be important to security teams, but it's not as important. So we don't consider that to be part of a cyber asset. But nevertheless, we see a lot of security teams taking IT assets from an IT asset management solution and then trying to use them for security purposes where they have replacement costs, which is useless to them, but is missing vulnerabilities or missing like these are the listening services on that machine, which they would care about, but it doesn't have it. And so they're hampered by, by having that lack of, lack of depth in their asset inventory. And, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier. The tools that were okay 20 years ago for just the office don't, are not really suited for the realities of today. 
And what you really need is a cyber asset management solution to help you along. Yeah. And let me ask this question first. Do, do you also collect the IT asset information? Around zero? So, or, do you, or do you purposefully stick to security stuff? Well, I mean, the replacement cost, that's something that comes outside of scan. You can't scan for that information as far as I know. But there, there's definitely some interplay between yeah. a cyber asset and an IT asset, of course. You can use one to sort of feed into the other one. Yeah, because it, oh, yeah, it, it, it goes back to my scenario. Now, this, this is going to date me. Uh, Y2K, <laughs> where security company trying to help uh, organizations kind of cross that mark over the, over the new year mark, uh, time frame. And, and I, I talk about this on my show, redefining cybersecurity all the time where security information and it information can actually drive better business decisions. So we're not back on our heels all the time trying to patch stuff where in fact, if a machine is full on hard uh, disk space and uh, has a bad network card that keeps failing and, and other things that are IT related and also is constantly in patch mode because that the OS sucks or the applications on it uh, have, have issues. That, that's a problem machine, right? That maybe the business might want to look at uh, changing out. So I, I guess the question is, Maybe that that doesn't directly apply, but is there a role for Run Zero to help the broader business make yeah. some really strong decisions? Yeah. So, I'll, two comments here. First one on Y two K. Y two K was one of my earlier projects when I was a when I was a consultant back in the day. So, yeah, I, I was right there with you. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. There are definitely, we do definitely do have customers who take this cyber asset inventory and then use that to feed into their CMDB in order to make sure that those IT workflows are operating on all the devices. You know, we, we haven't even talked about this, but many of the IT asset discovery tools also are not fit for purpose for the realities of today. And they also are missing those IoT devices and OT devices, those unmanaged IT devices that they need to know about for other reasons, right? For operational efficiency. And you know, one of the side use cases for, for having a really good asset inventory, even though it's a cyber asset uh, inventory, is to then feed into the ITS inventory into the CMDB of some sort with this wealth of detail. And of course, then IT can could use that to go do something else with it. And of course, that that um, that certainly does help the business make decisions uh, in terms of of performance and efficiency and so on and so forth. I think a second thing that's worth worth noting about this sort of interplay between IT and security and how it's better to collaborate. Fact of the matter is, security teams do not own those devices. Um, there was one survey recently where it said something like more than sixty percent of security teams need to work with other groups in order to actually remediate any security problems. Or to put another way, security teams are often begging and pleading and conjoling <laughs> all these other groups within the organization to please, please, please patch the damn thing or take it down or whatever, right? So uh, it's, it's, always, it's always better when the two are playing well together. Security is necessarily a collaborative 
uh, discipline. And if, if there can be an agreement on authoritative data, right? Source of truth, if you will, things just go better. And having a full asset, cyber asset inventory where the asset ownership of as many devices as possible is known also reduces uh, remediation time, right? So rather than security teams having to go figure out who owns this damn thing, because the person that we see over here listed for this asset left the company 10, 10 years ago. So now who owns it? Who can I talk to about what this is? What the hell does it do? Does anybody seem to know? And having to track down who the owner is, reducing that time really helps with reducing your mean time to, to, uh, to respond. So it, it really helps the company in multiple ways to have a full asset inventory that is also potentially feeding into a fuller IT asset inventory. Wow. So truth, trust, back to the trust. Trust. I want to challenge this. So early at the beginning, you said, you know, <laughs> trust, trust, trust. And of course, the name of the company is Run Zero. Right. Um, I, I want to say unequivocally, Run Zero is not a zero trust company. When we say zero, we don't mean zero trust, right? When we say zero, we just mean there are zero unknowns on your network in terms of assets. But we're not, we're not here to uh, jump on the zero trust bandwagon for, for the VC money or anything like that. Yeah. That is that yeah, is no, still very much was, a trend. That's why I was playing, playing on that a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are we are we are not that. I, I want to say that. Be very clear about that. You, yeah. you should put that zeros doesn't stand for that zero. It's another zero. <laughs> oh, um, like a new tagline. Yeah, <laughs> the no, the other zero. zero. The other zero. Yeah, yeah, the other the other dimension. Uh, so I I like to end this kind of conversation always looking into the future and uh, uh, you know you guys dated yourself with a Y two K. I could say I was there during the French Revolution, but that really dates me. So we'll we'll just move into the future instead of that. Um, where do you see things going here? Like I'm just gonna get for example a quote that I found here on the, on the on the website. This says Run Zero is the bomb for home and for work slash corporate. I'm not gonna read who said that, but it's a big company. And so th there is an entire new dimension, but there's also an entire different set of tools and technology that we have nowadays. You know, you, you talked a lot and Sean mentioned, you know, 20 years ago, you probably couldn't even do what you guys are doing now. So kind of curious to put your futuristic hat on and, uh, and see where, where do you see this uh, industry moving especially for for what you do like how technology is coming in ai i mean feel free to drop a few, a few oh, technology man. there uh you know just curious i mean an honest question to what you see the every world. every conversation mm -hmm. i have somehow chat gpt comes up <laughs> uh, just ai i'm going yeah you. all right well <laughs> i think the important thing and this i think i have very high confidence in this problem is not going to get any better on its own your the surface that you present to attackers which they may take advantage of in order to infiltrate into your company and move laterally through your company and that's not going to get any better there are going to be more and more assets that you have to deal with especially the ones where they're being instantiated without proper governance so that that is something that you can take to the bank i feel like that's not going to change that is coming. It's just going to get worse. And 
you have to you have to find a way to to deal with it. Otherwise, you're always going to be on the back foot. Your security program is always going to be reactive because you just don't know what you have. And so every day is a new unhappy surprise for your security team. So it's cleaning up kind of like a, a rule of thumb instead of having so much, maybe in the future be a little bit more minimalist in the in the assets that you have or is just like not the that's way not that business happen. yeah oh, it's not the on. way business gonna go no that, that's not gonna happen there's always gonna be new new ideas new offerings More. for companies you know and there's gonna be there's the number of software engineers are, is always increasing i don't care if there's ai writing code these days there's there's definitely there's always gonna be mm -hmm. more software engineers building more applications and more services and they're going to be pushing the envelope of what the security team has to deal with. So you better deal with it because <laughs> otherwise it's just going to get away from you. Yeah. Uh, I can, the, the, the nerd in me wants to talk for hours I and mean, I can, I'm just thinking of all these use cases. Like you talk about old stuff's not going to go away. New stuff's going to come. And then in the middle there are migrations from old to new, <laughs> from on-premises to the cloud and, and renting devices or leasing tractors right, that are on our <laughs> network, all, all this stuff where we, we can't control some things, but we still need to know what's going on and help guide others that have the control and, and the ownership. And I think you, you nailed it for me in the, in the single source of truth. So giving, having visibility into that, being able to, back to your language uh, degree, being able to translate that and communicate that back to the business and, and the players in the business, but be it directly or through partnerships to say, this is where we stand from a cyber perspective. Here's how it plays in from an IT and OT and IOT perspective. And hopefully we can make some better decisions as a business uh, because we have this visibility from a single source of truth. So I love it. Well, I, I I always say one more question, but Marco will bash me over the head if I if I do that. So, so maybe we can have another chat and get into. Uh, I'd, I'd like to talk operations and team structure and workflows and all this stuff. So who knows? Maybe there, maybe there's another chat down the, the road for some of those things. But I um, would love to come back. Absolutely. Yes, and maybe maybe there's a place I'll see you in New York. Coming yes, soon. absolutely. So uh, I. Aside from being the security evangelist that runs zero, I'm also the lead organizer for B-Sides NYC. And B-Sides NYC is on, after a five-year hiatus, we are on for April 22nd, 2023. Tickets are on sale now. It's only $15. Sweet. Only $15 for the conference. And if you are a student, you automatically get a refund after the conference. Look at that. I'm going to become a student for the day. Look at that. <laughs> I'm, I'm always learning something i learned a ton today you're always but, a student. Uh, i am a student well we'll put a link into uh besides nyc so folks can uh can check out the event and and hopefully meet you there huxley and thanks for helping to put that on after a five-year hiatus um i actually will be in california heading to rsa before that so uh i won't be able to visit you live in person in new york sadly but uh hopefully many who are on the east coast uh can do that and others others as well any uh any theme or any any highlights that are important for folks 
for that? Oh, at B-Sides? No, it, it runs the gamut. We have red team okay. talks, blue team talks, other colors of the InfoSec wheel talks. We got workshops, villages. It's 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 full security conference. Full on, full on B-Sides. Love it. That's right. In, in the spirit uh, that it was created. All right. Well, Huxley, thanks so much for bringing uh, this story to us. Great to learn more about Run Zero and great to meet you as the evangelist and, uh, and spokesperson for, for this. I think we have some, uh, some good tips in here for folks um, looking at their inventory and their assets, uh, inventory assets. So um, we'll, we'll include links to your site and other information you think folks would want to access to help them learn more. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for listening to uh, this story here on ITSB Magazine. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you for listening. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP mag 24.